Uh, this morning, Danny Meyer is going to continue uh, our series on Healthy Church. There we go. Okay, as Michael said, we are in uh, the very beginning, sort of the beginning of a series. We are talking about the healthy church. And I want you to, again, understand when we're talking about healthy church, we're not specifically talking about this congregation. Excuse me. We're, we're talking about healthy church as it pertains to any of the, the manifestations, any of the, the, the representations of the church. We're talking about how we as, as individuals, we are the people of God. We are not as an individual the church, but we're part of the church. We're talking about the, our families and our... Uh, together. Thank you, Jay. Thank you. Well, we're talking about our families and as we gather with roommates and friends. It can be an expression of the church. We are talking about this congregation as an expression of God's church in the community. We're talking about the universal church. But as we consider this topic of healthy church, we are looking at how God wants his church to function in any of its uh, uh any way that it's, it's coming together so that the, the world, those around us, our friends, our family, our co-workers, our communities can see something of the image of Christ. Now, the, the last two times we spoke out of the series, uh, I think the first part of it, I talked about how the healthy church gathers, the healthy church comes together. And then last week, uh, or yeah, it was last week, I guess, Michael talked about how the healthy church uh, serves, that it, it uses its gifts, its abilities to serve others, not just to serve others within the local congregation, but to serve their community and to serve those at work and family members and neighbors. And today we're going to take up a third topic, a third aspect of what a healthy church has to be like if we're going to reflect Christ, and that is the healthy church is to be generous. So let's go ahead and pray, ask that God would speak to us this morning and make clear what's on his heart for each of us. So Father, we come to you right now in Jesus' name. I ask that you would draw near. I ask that you be the one that would give me clarity of thought, clarity of speech, so that we can, can capture not my thoughts, but your heart on this matter. Allow your scriptures that we look at to, to speak to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me begin by sharing a story. This is a true story, not that I usually lie to you, but this, this is a, a, a true story. And when it, it sort of sets the scene for where we're headed today. 
when, when I was a, a brand new Christian, I, I probably, at the time this happened, was maybe five, six months old in the Lord. I had, I had grown up in New York City. I had grown up in a, a Jewish family, but had sort of abandoned any kind of, of organized religion, abandoned really any kind of real faith in God, had considered myself, when I went off to college, just an atheist, a, a, a radical uh, atheist, an evangelistic atheist. And I had this encounter with, with Jesus that turned my life upside down. I had become a Christian. I didn't know all that that meant, but I know something happened in, in, internally that, uh, that Christ had, had taken hold of my life and it just, it gripped me, and I began to, to spend time and, and be discipled by different individuals so I can grow and learn what it is that God wanted in my life. And one of the individuals who was significant in my life was, uh, I lived with him in, in Mansfield, Ohio, and then he was moving to, to Nashville, Tennessee, in order to plant a church. And he asked me, for some odd reason, if I wanted to go with him and his family as they were beginning to, to start this new church. And I, I was thrilled. So I, I traveled down uh, with the family to Nashville. And they, they were arranging to have their permanent house uh, ready for them, but it wasn't ready. So one of the individuals who, was, who we knew in Nashville said, we can stay at their, and it, it was, they called it their summer house, but it, it was really more like a, a hunting lodge about 60 miles outside of Nashville, in the hills, in a holler, and it was, it was really rustic. I mean, there, it was really rustic. And, and that's where we spent the first three or four months, and I just sort of camped out outside the house because the house was, was real small. And, but to me, it was exciting because, I, again, I was from New York City, and I'm sort of thrown into a culture that was so different. Than, than anything I experienced. And I used to spend my days walking around the holler, walking around the, the woods, just finding out what's around us. And this was way remote. I mean, to get to this house, there wasn't a road to it. We would, you'd drive down one road, then you'd go on a dirt road, and then you'd go down this, this, these two ruts uh, through the woods, and then you'd get to this field, and you just drove across the field. You literally had to drive through a stream and it, as it came up on the other rise, there was this, this, this lodge, this, this house that we were staying at. So each morning I'd get up and we'd have some chores and, and then I'd just walk around through, you know, follow the stream. And, and one day I'd come across this, this other house and it was sort of reminiscent of, if, if you ever saw the movie Deliverance, I mean, I didn't, I didn't hear banjo players, but they were probably there. But I came on this house and there was this older guy sitting on the front porch and he, he looked at me and saw me walking and at that time I had long hair, hair, had hair, and it was long. And I had a you know, bushy big beard and, and the guy sees me come up and he said, you're that Yankee hippie from New York, aren't you? And my, apparently my, my arrival had made news. And I said, yes sir. And I didn't know whether, I didn't know what was going to come next, but he said, I hear you got saved. I said, yes, sir. And he said, boy, be a, uh, be a funnel, don't be a bucket. And I said, 
okay, excuse me though? What? And he said, you know, a bucket, you just fill it up with water and it just sits there until it gets stale. But he says, a funnel, you pour the water in and it pours out and you can pour water in, more water in. He said, be a funnel, don't be a bucket. And I, I don't think I really understood what he was saying, but I thought, I'm, I'm moving on. But as I thought about it, it became more and more clear what he was talking about. And as I grew in my relationship with Jesus, it's become more and more clear what he was talking about. That it's, it's easy for us as Christians to be buckets, to allow God to pour his refreshment into us, to give us his good gifts and his good uh, talents, to give us from his generosity, and for it just to sit within us, for us. But it does get stale, doesn't it? But God's intention is for us to be, to be funnels, that he continually pours into us, and we continually take what he's given us and give it away and, and let it pour out. And the more we pour out, the more he pours in, and it's just this, this ongoing process. And, and even though that occurrence, that interaction with that gentleman on the, that front porch in, is in Bon Aqua, Tennessee, even though it happened some 40-some years ago, about 44 years ago, I remember it like it happened yesterday because it, it, just, it just put something in my heart and in my mind as I think about what it means to walk as a Christian, as I think about what it means to be a church that, that's healthy, this kind of generosity, this view of ourselves as funnels and not just as, as those who gather God's goodness and hold, it up, hold on to it for ourselves, it makes all the difference in the world if we are going to be a reflection of Jesus. So again, our, our topic today is this topic of generosity, and I want to sort of uh, pull out some, some wisdom from this, this uh, backwoods comment that, that, that was made. So as, as we talk about this issue of generosity, I, I, I want to say that we're not only talking about generosity with our money. I'm not going to end this talk with pull out your checkbooks. I'm not just talking about giving within the context of the church. I'm not just talking about generous with writing checks to, to missionaries or writing checks at all. I'm talking about generosity in all of the ways that it should be manifested within healthy church, in whatever way the church is, is coming together. Now, what is true, let me say, and let me sort of balance that comment out, what is true is that Jesus did speak about money and possessions and how we view our money and possessions more than he talked about healing, heaven and hell all put together. I mean, it, it definitely is a, is a key area, especially in our culture where, where money and our possessions can so easily become a source of, of identity, where our money and our possessions and what we have can become a, a platform for giving us a sense of self. You know, it, it's interesting because, honestly, in our culture, how many times have you heard it said, you know, you just shouldn't talk about money or religion? And, and here we are talking about money in part, and we're talking about spirituality, talking about relationship with God, 
But Jesus had no problem with it. You know, Jesus, in, in Mark chapter 14, I think, he, he sat himself down, he was with the 12, sat himself down outside the temple, right in front of the, the temple treasury. They probably had a, a large stone container, bucket, where people would come and, and give their, their offerings. And for some reason, Jesus felt it, it, no problem to sit himself down, and apparently he was just sort of watching what people were giving. Can you imagine? Can you imagine how that would fly this in, in our culture? You know, as they're passing out the, the offering basket for a pastor to walk in. Okay. All right. And, and just to, to to keep track. And and in that story, Jesus sees this this woman come up. She gives what was said to be just two coins, two two pennies, so to speak. And Jesus just com you know, commented on the great generosity he saw in that, in that poor widow woman. So we, we see Jesus comfortably talking about money, but we need to understand that if we are to be generous, it has to go far beyond how we use our, our finances and, and how we allow ourselves to be funnels with our possessions and our money, it includes how we see our time, that we see our time as, as a resource that we're given. And, and it is limited, but it is not a problem for God to, to multiply the value and the fruitfulness in how we use our time. It certainly shouldn't be lost that our view and how we use our time is something that, that can be invested, that it can have great value, that, that it's something that can be used in a way to reflect God and that we can be generous with our time and we're called to be generous with our time. Certainly, and, and Michael talked about this last week when he talked about how a healthy church and healthy Christians are, you know, are Christians who serve. And the gifts and the talents that God gives us, the experiences, the, both the supernatural gifts, the natural gifts that we have, God is calling for us to see it as a resource that isn't for ourselves, but it's that we have this ability to serve others. And in so doing, reflect Him. One of the, the resources that we, we as a, a culture have to learn to be generous with is going, and we'll talk about it today, is our, our ability to, to share of our friendship, to share of our, our family. That friendship, the capacity to have friends, the capacity to form relationship, the capacity to come alongside others and offer them relationship, offer them friendship, is one of the most profound ways that we can be generous with what with what God has given us. You know, and I think I've shared this before. I, I read an article, this was years ago now, that, and it was an interview with Billy Graham. And they were asking him, one of the questions was, what is the, because he, he, they were talking about how much mail he got. I mean, there's thousands upon thousands of, of letters virtually every day. And they asked him, what is the most common question that you're asked. And, and one would think it would have to do with something about salvation or a passage in the Bible. Or, or, he said, without a doubt, the most common question in those letters that he receives 
is what can I do about this profound sense of isolation and loneliness that I feel? We, we live in a culture that, that isolation, that loneliness is, is epidemic. We live in a culture that is so isolating, so, uh, that, that sets us apart from others. And the use or the understanding that we can be generous with our friendship in order to, to pour out what God has given us into other people's lives so that that isolation, that, that loneliness, that alienation from others can be mitigated is, is profound. That there are people at your work, there are people in your classes at school, there are people in your neighborhood, there are individuals in nursing homes that have lived under this profound sense of aloneness, of alienation, where even if they are in a crowd, they could still feel totally alone. And we have been given a resource, the ability to build and form relationship, the ability to, to extend friendship that can change a person's life forever. Some of us in the room have gone through periods of time in our lives, haven't we? Whether it's in, in school as a, a child, in high school or in college or a young adult or when you were a young parent or, or, or maybe when you were a senior citizen and you felt profound sense of aloneness, of separation from others. We understand what that feels like. And God has given us this capacity to pour out and to change another person's life. Our words, our words towards others, our attitude towards others, again, is, a, is something that God has given us the ability to be tremendously generous with. That our words can, can have profound effect in other people's lives. Jay was talking this morning during worship about how so many have been labeled with failure, no account, worthless, hopeless. And those labels, those words that can be tossed out so easily can crush. But we also can be generous with our words, with our attitudes towards others, as Jesus was. And with that generosity, with, the, with what we say, we can change people's lives. I, I, when I, was, I, I remember when I was a, a kid, I was probably in second, third grade. And I, I always have done terribly, terrible in school. I just, I've not been a good student. I've not, I, I've been the perennial underachiever. That's exactly what I've been, I was called virtually at the end of every year. Where the teacher would say, you're an underachiever. I remember when I was probably in second or third grade, I was uh, in a school, and my grandfather, who stayed weekends with us, was coming to pick me up at the end of the school day, and we were waiting in the, in the, uh, the playground where they, our parents would come and, and get us. And my grandfather came in, my teacher saw my grandfather, and, he, and my teacher went up to him and said, oh, you're here for the underachiever. Literally what she said in my, in my hearing. And I remember to this day, my grandfather said, no, I'm here to pick up the apple of my eye. And you know, again, that was what? That was, you know, well, if I was in second or third grade, that was probably about 25, 30 years ago. <laughs> And, but to this day, I remember those words. 
I remember how it, it just, it, it was, it soaked in like a sponge. It, it overcame the labels and the words that were so ungenerous by my teacher. And it helped to, to at least begin to build some kind of a foundation for how I could understand God viewing me. But we can be generous with our words, with what we say. And it makes a difference. You know, the Bible says love hopes all things, believes all things. And that, with that attitude, that can mark how we relate to others. Generous with our attitudes. Not taking into account a wrong suffered and not repeating it to others either. We have been given all these resources, the ability to form friendship, the ability to, to give of our money and possessions, the ability to speak into people's lives, and so on our time. We've been given these resources so that God can continually flow into us and out of us and impact people's lives in the same way that Jesus did. So if we become like buckets, if we become like an individual or a church or a, 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 a church movement where we're more like buckets, it's because we've, we've developed a, a bucket belief system. And one of, some of the things that identify a bucket belief system, first of all, is we begin with this attitude that I need to watch out for myself. And again, this is a characteristic of our culture that wreaks havoc, doesn't it? Where you, whether you're talking about a marriage, where, where each partner is looking out for their own best interests rather than the interests of, other, the, of the other, or we could see it in friendships where everyone is clawing for, for getting their needs met. We could see it in a culture. We, but the, the bucket mentality of watching out for ourselves, again, it just results in that kind of isolation, aloneness, and alienation we talked about. And, and, and just quite frankly, as an aside, that's one of the reasons why in this particular uh, church community at, at VCDC, we have small groups. Because we recognize how easy it is to isolate. We recognize how easy it is to just, it's just about me. But it, within the context of the small group, it gives us opportunity to look beyond ourselves. And it gives us opportunities for God to use us beyond ourselves. So needs are met, but it's not because everybody's sort of grasping to have their own needs met, but it's because we are meeting this person's need, but that person is looking out for that person's need, and according to that person's abilities, they're helping this person out, and it builds something that God intended. A bucket mentality, a bucket belief system, also thinks that it's okay to, to perceive generosity as something we do with our excess. I'll be generous with my excess. At the end of the week or at the end of the month, if I have a lot of spare time, I'll think about how I might be able to be generous with it. 
But how many of you are just sitting there trying to think, I wish I had more to do with my time. I'm just so bored. Or with our finances. You know, I'll give when I realize that I just have a lot left over at the end of the month. Now that happens often, doesn't it? And it doesn't matter how much we make or how, much, how many possessions we have because there's this phenomena that, that our, our lifestyle will just grow in order to use whatever the resources God is providing us. If we have this bucket mentality that our, our lifestyle will grow to fill in all the extra time. Our lifestyle will grow to fill in and use all the, 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 the money that we, we get. Our lifestyle will just grow in order to allow us to, to be looking out for ourselves. And that's one of the reasons why, why Jesus and the principle we see in the, both the Old and the New Testament talks about giving of our first fruits whether we're talking about time or our gracious words towards others. It's not we, that we, we speak well of other churches in this community every week because of what they've done, though they, they've been extremely gracious with us. We do it because we have opportunity to do it and not because, well, you know, we, uh, they, they, they've been good to us, now we'll, we'll give them what they have earned. We just are gracious, not out of excess, not in response to what's happening, but like Jesus, we just, we just are grace, gracious because it reflects the one who we're following. You know, sometimes we develop this bucket mentality because we allow ourselves to think, this is a big one in our culture, we allow ourselves to be thinking when we see somebody in need, how did they get into that position? What did they do wrong? What's not right in their life that they should be in a position of need for what I have gained myself? You follow me? You ever hear that kind of logic? And it's just bucket mentality. Here's this person who is homeless. Here's this person who's in need. Here's this person who's, whose life is beginning to, to crash in. And we want to analyze how did they get into that position? What did they do wrong? And the reality is maybe they indeed did something wrong. But you know what? It didn't matter to Jesus. It didn't matter to Jesus. The parable of the prodigal son shows that reality that the prodigal son who squandered the money that he received from his father with, with loose living in Luke chapter 15, the prodigal son was still the focus of the father's affection and attention. Jesus didn't just give to those who deserved it to those who made no mistakes. And it's a good thing, isn't it? I wouldn't be standing here if that's how he worked things in his kingdom. He grabbed hold of my life, and I was a jerk. I just, 
I, I was not a, a nice person. I certainly was an enemy to God and to all that he stood for. But he was generous. And he said, you're my son. You're lost. But he was generous. And we're to be like Jesus. Sometimes these, this bucket belief causes us to, to think this way. If, what if I'm generous with these people in need, whether it's with my words, with my gifts, with my money, with my uh, affirmation of them and helping them? What if I'm generous and they squander and don't appreciate my generosity? What if I give them something and they go out and use it for a bad reason? Jesus didn't care. And we see that over and over and over again in the scripture. Jesus came and he died for the whole world. And his death, one might say, is squandered by many. Jesus, at one point, there were, there, there were a group of lepers surrounding a pool, wanting to, to ask him for alms, asking for, for help. And Jesus came up, healed every one of those ten lepers. Only one of them appreciated it. Only one of them came back and apparently began to, to follow Jesus. The rest just went on their way. He didn't care. He didn't care at all. Because, hear me, our generosity, pouring out what God has given us, isn't simply for the benefit of the recipient of our generosity. It's not just for the person in need. It's for us that we're called to be generous. When we're generous, there's something that is poured into us. Again, whether we are demonstrating at any given time generosity with money or with words or with our talents and our gifts and our abilities or being generous with our friendship. It's for us that he calls us to do that. But if, if those are the, the bucket beliefs that cause us to just hold on to those resources that has been, have been given to us by God, I, I want to take a little bit of time to look at what are the, what is the, 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 those things that identify funnel faith. What motivates an individual? What motivates a family? What motivates a church to say, Lord, just pour it into me because I want it to pour out because I want to see this, this constant flow of, of give and receive and give even more. Those who f have funnel faith see themselves as people of the kingdom. And, and what I mean by that is we are part of the kingdom of God. We, God has come to us as a king who also happens to be our father. And in a kingdom, the king gets his way. In a kingdom, the kingdom reflects the values of the king. He, he's the king. We're the doms. 
That's why they call it a kingdom, I think. <laughs> and, and in order to have funnel faith, we, we do what our Father the King does. And this is how Jesus lived his life. This is how he walked day to day to day. Listen to some of these verses. I, I'll read a few verses here, but it, 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 it's, it's exciting. John chapter 5, verse 19. Jesus was speaking to the disciples. He gave this, them this answer. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. John 5, 30. By myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear. And my judgment is just for I speak not to please myself, but him who has sent me. How did Jesus live his life? It was, it was show and tell. Every day. Father, what are you doing? What he saw the Father doing, he did. Father, what are you saying as I'm in this conversation with this person? As he heard the Father speak to him, he became that, that funnel through which, that conduit through which the words of God, the encouragement of God flowed. Jesus did nothing, he said, on his own initiative. Only did what he saw the Father doing. Only said what he heard the Father saying. John chapter 8. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that not, I do nothing on my own, on my own, but I speak what the Father has taught me. The one who has sent me is with me, and he has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. That's kingdom living. That's what makes for a healthy church. We walk with Jesus through our days. And as we find ourselves in different situations, different circumstances, Father, is there something for me in this moment? Is there, are there words? Is there an attitude? Is there something that, that I have that you've given me that I can provide and pour into this moment? It's taking those handfuls of heaven, handfuls of his purposes, and bringing them from heaven to earth. And that's what generosity looks like when we live and when we're motivated to be people of the kingdom. Funnel faith says, or bucket faith, no, funnel faith says, all that I have belongs to God. See, if we're going to be people who are able to be generous, it's because we come to an understanding that what I have, whether we're talking about my time, my capacity to form relationship, whether we're talking about my money, my talents, my experience, my, my possessions, when we can realize it all belongs to him in the first place. When I was a young Christian, very young, new Christian, I remember a friend of mine who had been a Christian longer, uh, and he had, he had a car that needed a new alternator. He went to the store, bought the alternator, brought it back, and I was sitting there just sort of helping him out, handing him tools, 
and he opened the box where the alternator was, and he lifted it up like this. And it was sort of like, you know, this Lion King, Kunta Kunte moment, you know, and I, I was watching him, and I, I said, what are you doing? And he said, Danny, don't you realize that everything we have belongs to God? I'm just giving this alternator to God. And I thought to myself, he wants alternators? You know, it, it just, but it, again, what we have, if we have this mindset that it comes from him, it's for him, it belongs to him, it's far less likely that we're going to be holding on and thinking of anything that we have as mine. Colossians chapter 1.16 says, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. So here we are. We walk through life individually, part of a, a family, part of a church family. And God pours things into us. And we say, oh, this is what he's, what he's provided. So that I can listen and watch what he's doing in heaven and bring his purposes here to earth with those things that belong to him that, that just happen to at this moment reside in my possession. That I can take those things of the Father, those possessions of the King, and help to distribute time, energy, money, possessions, kindness, friendship, words. Psalm 50, verse 10 says, For every animal of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. God says, I know every bird in the mountains, and every insect is mine. It's all his. It, and he knows and sees and cares and recognizes where his stuff is, what he's distributed to this church, what he's distributed to you. He knows about it all. He says, if, if I were hungry, I, I wouldn't tell you, I, I wouldn't have a need to tell you for the world is mine and all that is in it. In other words, he doesn't have a need from us, but he has recognized and designed us that we have a need to live in this manner, to live generously. It's not that he's up there saying, gosh, if Danny doesn't give away this bit of friendship and relationship if Danny doesn't use his resources uh, or lend his lawnmower if Dan, Danny doesn't give to this missionary, if Danny doesn't speak a kind word, the whole world is going to go kaput because how can I accomplish what I need to accomplish without Danny? No, he'll do it however he wishes. But he's given this privilege and responsibility 
mostly privilege that I get to participate, that you get to participate in bringing his divine, gracious, merciful intentions from heaven to earth. So just like Jesus walking into a village saying, Lord, what do you have for me here? We get to walk into our classrooms, walk into the, to the break room at work, walk down our neighborhood in the same way that Jesus did. Father, what might you have in this moment, in this situation? Friday, Michael and I were eating lunch together and we were sitting there talking and, and the waitress came up to you know, bring a, a fresh glass of water and Michael looked up and I could see the, the look in Michael's eye. I've learned to, to recognize it where, where things are, are cranky. And he said, can I ask you a question to the waitress? She said, yes. And he began to, he asked a question or two and then God had given him just a, a, a word of encouragement that was just so ripe for that moment, so ripe for that situation. And he shared it with the girl, and you could tell she just drew it in like a, a sponge taking in water. You know, it, it just touched something concerning something that she had been experiencing. And I, I just so appreciated watching that. And it just seemed so natural and so comfortable and so not weird. It was just Michael being a, a kingdom person. It was just Michael realizing he was a conduit of God's goodness and God's grace. It was Michael being a, being a funnel. Funnel faith believes that we're all part of a family, and, and that's a reason for, for generosity. You know, we're part of our nuclear family. We're part of extended families. And Jesus says that means something. That counts for something. We need to look out for each other in, in the family. We're, we're part of a church family. We're part of the, a global, universal church family. But we're also part of the, the human family. You know, it's not as God's concerned a us and a them in the world. It's us. There are God's children who have, by his grace, found, their, found the way and responded and heard his call and have been drawn back home. And there are those who are his children that he loves and are the focus of his affection and his attention that may be lost, that may be in rebellion. But we're part of the family of, of human beings. I'm not talking about universalism. I'm just talking about the reality to recognize that we are generous with one another, but we're generous with, with anyone we're called to be because they like us, that other person like us, that atheist like us, that, that Muslim like us, that, that undocumented alien is part of God's family. They may, they may be outside of his purposes, perhaps. 
but they are the focus of his affection and his attention. The scriptures say that the kindness of God brings forth repentance. And, and sometimes what we have done is we flip that upside down. The repentance of an individual then will result in receiving the kindness of God. When I see this person deserve it, I'll pour some grace out to them. Thank God that he didn't and doesn't relate to us like that. But his kindness, perhaps not immediately, but his kindness so often can be used to draw a hard heart, an alienated individual, closer. We've seen that in relationships. So our generosity is like a call to everyone that there's a God who's been gracious with me and a God who is inviting you to enjoy the fullness of his grace. A funnel faith person knows God is far more generous than we'll ever be. That we can be assured that I'm never going to out-generous God. What happens if I pour out of what he's given me and I'm then left abandoned and destitute? We're chip, chips off the old block. At least we're called to be. We're not going to outgive God. Now, this isn't some guarantee. You know, if you give five dollars, you'll get five dollars back. Or as you hear with some preachers, give five dollars to the ministry today, and God will return it tenfold. I'm not. This isn't a matter of you know good investment. You know, let's see. If I tithe, blah blah blah, and I can assure. No, this is just simply saying that. God is gracious with his people. That we don't have to be concerned that somehow if we become more like Jesus, he's going to go, holy mackerel, I meant you know, generosity, but this is ridiculous. What are you doing? <coughs> God is going to pour into us. And that is the consistent, consistent word that we see in the scripture. When he saw that widow woman in, in Mark chapter 14, giving her two cents, her last bit, into the temple treasury, he said, most people, they were giving out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, but she put in everything, all she had to live on. And his next words weren't, what a mistake that was. He sees generosity, and he says, oh, there's the funnel. There's someone I can count on, that as I pour into them, they'll give out. All right, li listen to, to, I just want to finish up with reading a passage here. This is, these are Jesus' words to his followers. If Jesus was standing here right now, these are words he would speak to us that are spot on in, as we consider this topic 
of generosity. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Is life not more than food? Is the body not more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they are? Can any one of you, can any one of us, by worrying, by thinking, oh, I've got I to gotta make it all work, I've got to hold on to it, can anyone by worrying at a single hour to our life. And why do you worry about clothes? You see how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all the splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more you, you of little faith. So don't worry saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things. But your heavenly Father knows that, uh, that you need them. And then Jesus says to his disciples, seek first his kingdom, his reign and rule in your life. See first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. God says, you are the focus of my attention and my affection. You are the recipients of my great generosity. Be like me and I'll make sure that you have the capacity to continue to be generous day after day. You want to walk in step with Jesus? Then all we have to do is be generous. He walks down the road of our lives and journey of our lives. And as we say, Jesus, I, I, I want to be like you, we're going to stay close. If we begin to to become bucket people, then we're, we're walking off the purposes and the plans that he has for us. We get to be like Jesus. It's a hot deal. And he gives us the wherewithal to be able to do that. Stand up. Jay, why don't you come on up. Here, here's how I want to finish up today. You know, when, when I was preparing this, it, could, it, it just absolutely gripped me. <laughs> Unfortunately, it gripped me in all the ways in which I was just that, that individual with little faith, where I thought, well, I, I need to at least watch out for myself a little bit because I'm not quite sure he understands how things work out. I saw those areas where, where I, I just, you know, 
I just felt like I, I need to hold on, or, or what if this, or what if I'm generous with that and it doesn't work, or does this person really deserve it? And it just, it just gripped me. And, and I, I just, as I was writing this out and preparing and thinking about it, I was just honestly repenting just <laughs> as I wrote. And I, I want to give us a time as individuals, as families, as, as a church family, not, not to beat ourselves up because we're so horrible, but to, to just come before him. It's sort of like my friend. And take our cars and our alternators and our time and our resources and our friendship and capacity for friendship and our words and say, Jesus, all that you've given me the ability to, to do and to have, I give it back to you. Jesus, direct me in how to pour it out. And, and just make that commitment to him. All that I have is yours. I want to see and hear how you wanted me to distribute it. And if you want to come to the front with me and, and just do that outwardly before the Lord, I, I encourage you to do that. If you want to do it from your seat, that's fine for me. It's, it's always helpful to, to put something physical with what I'm doing in my heart, my mind, to help it sink in, okay? So let's worship and let's, let's surrender from the grace that God's given us. We give all that you have provided to, to us as individuals and our families and our church family. We just give it to you. Father, we thank you for your generosity in our lives. Father, we thank you that you continually pour in. We ask that you would find us as as your children, kingdom men and women, who take hold of this, this divine responsibility and privilege and just to continually pour out. 
And Andy just shared with me a, a picture that he had. And, and the key is, concept that he saw was that we, some of us have grown, the, the apathy has, has sunk in, just like an arm that's not used gets stiff and it's just out of non-use. And there are some of us maybe who, because of, of apathy and, and sharing words, to, whether it's to a, a stranger, to our children, to a spouse, sharing encouraging words to, to strangers that we meet. We've grown apathetic. We've grown apathetic in being generous with our possessions, with our, our money, just because we haven't done it. Father, if, if that's how you found me, if that's how you found any of us, begin to, to work from the inside out so that we once again can look like Jesus. We can respond to situations like Jesus. We can act, love, show mercy and generosity like Jesus. Father, come and have your way with us. Lord, allow the kindness of Christ that, that can flow even through these broken vessels, allow it to have a drawing power, drawing individuals to you. And allow the fruit of, of generosity, not just bless others, but allow generosity to bear that good fruit in our lives as we grow in the, the excitement and in the enthusiasm that we can, we can take the handfuls of heaven, the purposes that you have for, for this earth and become conduits through which it, your kingdom comes and the, that your will gets done. So come, Lord, send us out. Send us out today. And speak to us, show us as we walk how you want to use us to bring your goodness, to bring your generosity into situations. Lord, we, we just pray in your name that you would be glorified all of God's people said, amen. Church, let's go and be a generous people because we got a, a really generous God.